So, uh, Dan and Viola aren't with us this morning. They were, they were sick this week, and so he asked me to, to fill in for class. And so what we're going to do this morning is actually what I wanted to do last Sunday night, but I didn't get a chance. And that's to look at First um, Timothy and see throughout First Timothy how Paul encourages, uh, upholds, um, exhorts, uh, commands the importance of doctrine within the church. And so if you remember, I guess it was last Sunday when we talked about adoption, the doctrine of adoption. We spent a little bit of time talking about, um, see if I remember how we said it, the slippery slope of sloppy doctrine, right, and what that could lead to. And the reason why I wanted to do this in Timothy is to show us just how important uh, a right a right understanding or a right doctrine is to the church and to the individual Christians. Um, when you op- when you're in your New Testament and you see First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, those three are usually categorized together as um, pastoral epistles. They're three letters to pastors. Timothy and Titus. And so a lot of how we understand church uh, structure, organization, government comes from those three passages and a lot of instruction towards pastors as well. And so it kind of gives us an idea of why First Timothy might be a good place to understand um, why doctrine is important. So let me just help you understand this. When I say the word doctrine, you could just swap and say teaching. And in my Bible, that it actually gets tossed back and forth. The same Greek word is used in one place, but it might be translated teaching in one spot or what we teach to doctrine or um, – yeah. And so it kind of goes back and forth. And so doctrine just means teaching. Uh, you, we kind of imagine the pulpit for preaching. But we have to understand that we stand before with the word of God, not just to proclaim what's been said, but to teach and help bring an understanding to what's been said. And so you get a mix of preaching and teaching, um, but both is necessary and both is important. And when we when we teach, the goal is to teach Doctrine to give you an understanding of what God and the apostles have said and written down. Uh, I heard a guy say the other day that when you can teach anything, I could literally teach heresy. So like, I could teach, I could teach an under and give you an understanding of what how not to think of Jesus. Right? I'm not telling you to think that way. I'm just teaching heresy to you so you know not what to believe. But I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to proclaim the excellencies of who Jesus is or what he taught or what he's done for us in order to have an effect and a a change on you. Anyway, I've talked too long. What we're going to do is is we're going to we're going to read through first Timothy and I have highlighted or underlined everywhere in here an importance, an important statement on teaching and doctrine now. One more thing. I was going to do this at the end, but I'll do this in the beginning because I want you to understand, again, why this is so important. 
how much love do you have for your spouse or your child? Right? A lot. Well, how well do you know your spouse or your child? A lot. Right? You, you don't know your neighbor so much. You don't love your neighbor as much. So I want you to understand is that your capacity to love God can only go so far as how much you know God. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can't just walk around the world and saying, I love Jesus. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, if you don't love Jesus, be damned. And so Christians will walk around saying, I love Jesus, because that's what we're supposed to say, right? But, but the question is, is do they know him, right? Yeah. Do they know him? And I'd say the only way you get to know somebody is go and visit with them. The only way to visit with Christ is in his word. The only way to get to know him is through what the Bible teaches about him. Um, so... We, we let that linger as we go through this. Okay, so First Timothy. I'm just going to read, and when I hit a point where I think we need to just say something, this isn't going to be too in-depth. Basically, I'm wanting you to highlight or underline in your Bible so you can go back and look a little bit closer at all of these. And probably next, the first Sunday of March, we're going to look at Second Timothy more than likely that first Sunday evening of March. Okay, ch- chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, okay, that, that Paul has sent and left Timothy there to pastor and to uh, help uh, shepherd the church in Ephesus. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, my first point. Here we go. The first underlined, highlighted section, verse 3. Now, notice the, the urgency here. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, there's our first, our, our first um, emphasis on right doctrine. Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to stay in Ephesus and you are going to guard the flock from false teaching. You must do this. Now, here's, a, here's, a, here's an interesting point. Leave your, put a finger or a piece of paper in 1 Timothy. And go back to Acts chapter 20. I wasn't planning on going to any other passages, and so we're probably not going to get through 1 Timothy. But we're going to let the Lord lead us. Acts 20. Okay, so remember, Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus, and and Paul... Is, is, is going, leaving Ephesus. Look at verse 17. Um, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. This is Paul talking, or they're talking about Paul. 
And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's like, that's what I did for you guys. I came to you from house to house teaching you. And I don't know if, if it's here or maybe it's in another spot where he talks about how he taught in tears. Um, verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he's leaving constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, we know what will happen to him there. And I think he 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 does know, too. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me, here it is, in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You say, I'm never coming back to Ephesus. Never going never gonna to see me in this town again. Verse 26. Therefore I testify, you, testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Now, why can Paul say, your souls, which will give account to God one day, I have wipe myself clean of you. Your blood is not on my hands. What has he done to be able to make that statement? Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. But then look at the warning he leaves them. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. We would think of them as pastors. For he has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Where will they come from? Among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. All right, hear this. Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. Why would they speak twisted things? To draw away the disciples after them. Oh, here he is. Here's what he talks about. the um, Tears. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So Paul spends his life trying to teach the whole counsel of God to the Christians that he was um, to the churches that he was um, starting. And what would be their potential downfall? For someone to come in 
and teach opposite of that. To, to tell them falsehoods. To give them a different gospel. And so Paul is saying, go, Timothy, and charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy. Now, what you're going to see is a little bit of um, evidence. Well, I don't want to say evident, the type of false doctrine that they were teaching at that time. It's a little bit different from how we might hear false teaching these days, but at the core, it's typically always the same. But he says, um, verse four. 1 Timothy 1, nor to, vote, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Verse 6, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Eight. Now we know that what that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers. The sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. Now, hang on to this one. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So here's what I want you to understand in verse 11 and then we'll move on. Notice what, what he says there at the end. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Here's what you cannot, we cannot think. The gospel means this to me. Or I understand this teaching this way to me. Paul says, no, no, no. The doctrine, the gospel has come to us from God. Not our understanding, not our um, interpretation, but the certain truth of certain teaching has been handed down from Jesus directly to his apostles. And they have written them down for us. And that's what we have in the New Testament. That which Jesus has passed on to the apostles. When you get that wrong... You get, I'm trying to say this nicely, you get dead churches. You get people full of people, you get churches full of people who think they're Christians, but they've been taught the wrong gospel. They've been taught the incorrect doctrine, right? Um, Only truth saves. Okay, now we're going to, for the sake of time, um, let's jump to chapter 2, verse 7. 
this kind of backs up what we just said there. Chapter 2, verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher. So there is those two words that I used to begin with, preaching and teaching. And we don't have time to really go into the difference there. We touched on it already. But look what he says. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Truth. Here's what we have to understand. You do not define truth. You can't. You can't say to someone, well, what's true for you might not be true for me. Well, you've just thrown out reality. Like you, you, you just can't interpret the world based on what you desire or how you feel. Truth is truth. And it's only, the only place it comes from is God. Uh, you end up like Pilate when he can't even define it. He can't even define truth. And he asks he asked Jesus, what, well, what's, what is truth? We must understand that it begins with God. Okay, now chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Again, that word could be used elder, pastor. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he he desires a noble task. So then we get in verses 2 through 7, the qualifications for someone to be an overseer, an elder, or a pastor. Verse 2, therefore an overseer must be Above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, here we go, able to teach. So is doctrine important? Nah. Yeah, it is. If the people who are supposed to be standing in the pulpit have to be able to teach, well then it just specifies and drives home the point that what they're teaching is obviously important. Now, if you look down and at verse 8, you get the qualifications for the, de- for the deacon, which is almost identical minus the qualification to be able to teach. So that's, some, that's something just for you to have in the back of your mind as you think about the offices of the church as, as elder, pastor, and then deacon. That's the one big difference that sets aside or sets apart those in qualifications. All right, look at verse 14, chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here we go, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now, here's what's interesting is how he describes the household of God, which is the church or the assembly of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. If we don't have the truth, we might as well just close the doors. We cannot call ourselves a church of the living God. Verse or chapter four. Now the Spirit expresses expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits 
and teachings or doctrines of demons. Okay, so now we're getting a little crazy here. Now what I want you to understand in verse chapter 4, verse 1, is the this two words, the faith. So let's start over. Now the Spirit expressly... Y'all, I'm having a hard time with that word. Says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, hold your finger in there in First uh, Timothy and look at Jude chapter... Yeah, there's only one chapter in Jude. Right before Revelation. Jude verse 3. Right before Revelation. Verse 3. All right. Keep, keep in mind the words, the faith. Okay? What are we talking about? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, when you see the words, the faith... We're not talking about faith that we have, are believing and trusting. We're talking about that which mm, that which sums up Christianity. The doctrines of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, of our God, of the church. All of that handed down from the God through the Son, by the Spirit, to the apostles, and then on to us. So notice it was the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? But notice what's happening, why Jude decides that he needs to write about this. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people have crept into the church among the saints who pervert the grace of our God into sensualities and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to get sidetracked here. Okay, I want you all to hear me. We, I'm, I'm, we have... We try our best here to preach and teach the Word of God, not not in a shallow way, okay? Not in a way where it would be like, I liken the type of preaching and teaching that we want to do to a full, healthy diet, right? You remember the old um, pyramid, right? probably out of date these days but like you wanted to get all of the pieces of the pyramid what is it called with somebody the food pyramid triangle whatever you know what i'm talking about but what i what i when i say i we don't want to provide to you a shallow preaching and teaching that would be like a diet of only ramen noodles for the rest of your life, right? It's like you could live. It, you could get a little sustenance and, and maybe some energy, but you're not going to be healthy. And then not only you're not going to be healthy, when you go to work, 
you're going to be sluggish and tired. Um, and so I, I, first I want us to understand that what comes from the pulpit it is as, it's as Paul said, it, it's, it needs to be the whole counsel of God, like that whole pyramid, food pyramid, right? Um, and not just this, oh, here's a Ritz cracker today. We want to feed. Like when Jesus told uh, Peter, go feed my sheep. He, he, he was like, go give them a banquet of the word of God because they need it to live. Do not... Uh, Man does not live by bread alone, but on a word of God. No, no. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? You, we, we come to feast and to not just have just a, a bit here and a bit here, but to have, to have a rich, abundant, delicious meal. Now, I, we also add... The idea of having the catechism. And you're like, why? Why would we go through it more? Why would we want to do that more? And, you know, and that's not even the Bible. Like, let's just read the Bible and let's just do this because I don't really need any of that other stuff. Or if you go on the back, you can see our, our, our confession of faith, our statement of faith, the 14, 18, 18 doctrines that we have affirmed as a body. And you're like, well, why do we have all this stuff to help? Like, we just we just need Jesus. We don't we don't need any of that stuff. Well, the problem is, the problem is, is Jesus is seen in many many ways these days. We don't we don't see Jesus in the same way Mormons see Jesus. Okay. And that you can have a conversation with someone like a Mormon and talk very shallow about Christianity and think, man, we're we're like this. But if you talk about Jesus divinity, Jesus being God, if you get into actual doctrine about Jesus and they're going to say, nah. Jesus wasn't God. So we have to understand that we can't just say, I only need to know Jesus. I don't need this doctrine. I don't need these catechisms. I don't need this confession of faith. The whole point of all of these is to bring you down and to know who you believe. Okay? To know who you believe. So if you don't if you don't have a high view of doctrine, this letter of Jude makes no sense to you. It doesn't. Like why would Jude care if doctrine, if the teaching of the scriptures and how they were given to us were not important, then why would he write this letter? Why would he say such a thing as certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation? Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensualities and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I could teach on that verse for probably about three weeks because there's so much richness in those words just 
our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why I want you to understand it. Go, uh, go to Romans 1. Verse 16. Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will just ask the first question here. Well, what is that? What is the gospel? Paul, what are you not ashamed of? Well, you got to know. You've got to have an understanding of what the gospel is. You've got to, you've got to know the truth of what he is discussing. But he says this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay? That word power, and somehow in the Greek it's connected to the word dynamite. I don't really remember. I just, I just know that that connection's there. That is the force of the gospel, this divine force that, that goes forth. And brings about salvation in people. So what if we got the gospel wrong? What if we got our doctrine wrong? This verse doesn't make any sense or it is not helpful. If we got the gospel wrong, we lose the power. We lose the... We, yeah. They're lost in their sins. We're lost in our sins. And that's why I said when we get it wrong, when we're not, when we're not devoted to right teaching, then we deceive ourselves. We deceive others. And we just we turn into a whitewashed tomb. Beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. Um I'm going to wrap this up here. Let's go ahead and go back to 1 Timothy. That's a good place to stop. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 6. It's a good transition here. Chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, notice that that Paul isn't overly concerned about their benevolence fund or their building fund or how they help um, with uh, the food drive. But what he's concerned about goes beyond those things. He's concerned about the eternal effect that the right teaching to the church. I'm saying so many things I forgot how my sentence is going here. He's so concerned about the eternal things that are affected by the right teaching of the scriptures. Because look what he says in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Verse 13. 
until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Or your version, your translation might just say the doctrine or doctrine. But look what he says. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now he's talking, Paul is talking to a pastor of a church. And he just said, you you need to persist in this. For by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And you think, well, aren't they already saved? Well, they're being saved. They're being saved. It's not just a thing that's happened in the past. And that is the whole – isn't this the whole point of Hebrews? Is that if you look back in your life and go, oh, yeah, I got saved back in 1993. I haven't been to church since. What are you saying? You're not being saved. You made some decision to go forward at a, a, a tent meeting and it had nothing to do with your eternal soul. Right? Those, those who are justified, I'm getting ahead of myself in our, in, our, in our catechism, those who are justified when they believe for the first time are being sanctified. And we're going to talk about this this morning because we're in Hebrews 12. They're being sanctified. They're being saved. They're being set apart. They're being made holy. It's a present thing that happens until Christ returns or till you go to him. And so, if I start going sideways on you guys here, some of you might go sideways with me. All the way to hell. That's what he's saying. And that's what Hebrews says. Steadfast, remain, endure, continue, right? It's... It's not a a one-time event. Christianity isn't a one-time event where Jesus stamped your ticket to heaven. Mm -mm. So I'm glad none of of you can leave because you need to listen to the sermon. Cannot leave. We're going to talk more about this. Keep a close watch on yourself. Now here, I'll just finish with this. Read the rest of 1 Timothy this week. Because he says some other things. He brings some heavy, heavy uh, consequences to those who uh, teach a different doctrine. And if you look at Galatians, do you know what he tells the church at Galatia? He says, if you hear me teaching a different gospel, may I be accursed. May I be damned. If you hear an angel preaching another gospel, to hell with him. That's Paul's language. Okay. Now here's the question I want to ask you. If it's that important, are you actually learning it? Are you actually seeking the scriptures to understand what is so important for your soul? A one-time knock on the door, hey Jesus, come on in, doesn't create anything but actually judgment. You walk around this life saying, I'm a Christian and you know nothing about Christ. There's a special place in hell for those types of people. And that's a hard statement, but that's a true statement. That's what that's that Hebrews over 
and over again says. Let me just read it so you don't think I'm making it up. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his son if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I could go on, but you get the point. Do you care about the teachings of the scriptures? Do you search them? Do you love them? Do you desire them? Do you love them like you love a steak? Because that's what they are to us. Right, huh? No condiments on our steak. <laughs> so I, I urge you to to seek your Lord in His Word, okay? Because it's not just enough to hear it spoken. While that is of great benefit for your soul, it's even more important and pertinent that you fellowship with him, that you commune with him in his scriptures. Don't tell me you're best friends with Johnny and you've only met him once, right? If Jesus is your savior, he's your everything. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us words on paper but we are so thankful that they're just that there's so much more than that. But they they express to us your heart, your mind, your will, your purpose, your love, your justice. They express to us who you are, and you have not left us. You will not forsake us, but you have actually given us your spirit so that we might understand your words. And so would you give each and every one of us a greater heart and desire to feed upon uh, your truth. To be sheep who are always looking for green grass. Would you convict us when we desire not to eat? Would you reveal to those who might be here who are falsely professing faith in Jesus because they actually do not know him. But I pray in this moment, in this hour, uh, at, at your time, Lord, that you would reveal to all of us the depth of the cross of Christ, the depravity of our sinfulness, the, the neediness that we have to be covered by your son, the blood of your son. And help us in this. All for the sake of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Yeah.